Welcome to Gray Zone Radio. I'm Max Blumenthal, your host every week here at Pacifica and the editor of thegrayzone.com. That's G-R-A-Y zone.com. If you watched any of the corporate cable news networks this week, you were almost certainly deluged with breathless coverage of the journey of an alleged Chinese spy balloon across the continental United States and the howls of mostly right-wing lawmakers and neocon fanatics demanding that President Biden authorize the military to shoot that aircraft down. So was the balloon just an innocent weather balloon that got lost on its way to a thunderstorm? Or was it a literal test balloon, something deployed by the Chinese military to appraise America's reaction to a looming threat? Or was it indeed a spying device collecting detailed imagery of sensitive U.S. military sites? Whatever the case was, the great freakout over the Chinese balloon helped advance the prediction of U.S. Air Force General Mike Minahan, who confidently declared this month that the U.S. would be at war with China by the year 2025. Together with my colleague Aaron Maté, I discussed how literal hot air is fueling a new Cold War. Keep in mind, our conversation took place two days before a U.S. F-22 aircraft took out the slow-moving Chinese balloon with a single Sidewinder missile, a feat of gallantry unmatched in modern military history. But let's first hear from uh, the U.S. on this supposed Chinese surveillance balloon, which is now over Billings, Montana, or was yesterday over Billings, Montana, and is heading eastward towards the Midwestern United States and is sparking new Cold War hysteria that is playing out at the highest levels at a very precipitous time. So um, this is the Pentagon as they were pushed to respond to this. Position of the balloon classified? Uh, Phil, right now, uh, what we're not going to do is get into a hour-by-hour location of the balloon. Again, we're monitoring it closely. Uh, As I mentioned right now, it's over the center of the continental United States. That's about as specific as I'm going to get. I understand I'm being convenient, but does the public not have a right to know? Uh, The the public certainly has the ability to look up in the sky and and see where the balloon is. That's the Pentagon. The public has the ability to look up in the sky and see where the balloon is. It sounds like I was reminded of like drug talk, like you're you're on drugs and you're looking up the sky, you see a balloon and you know, look at the balloon. Um, But yeah, no. uh, And this could spark a new kind of hands across America. You know, everyone goes outside and holds hands and looks up at the balloon and shows the Chinese that their balloons are not welcome. It's also like a complete red scare propaganda, um, whatever the case is. Now, the Chinese Foreign Ministry is claiming that the balloon was actually a civilian aircraft that got led astray, that kind of uh, there was a force majeure, winds blew it east. It kind of it wasn't supposed to be over the United States, especially at this time. The U.S. is the Pentagon is basically saying this is a surveillance balloon. The whole point of these surveillance balloons is they cruise at like 80,000 feet. Unlike a satellite, they're able to provide much more detailed imagery they're in the atmosphere. There's, there are less visual obstacles for them to photograph, for example, sensitive U.S. military infrastructure. And we know that in areas like Nevada or Montana, there are nuclear launching sites. So it might be something that China might want to take a look at. But the reality also is that 
we'll we'll get more constant we'll get into more context here but the reality is that this is not this would not be the first chinese surveillance balloon to have flown over the united states it just happens to be the first one that people can go out and take a look up at the sky and see themselves so it's caused total hysteria uh this is from one of the biggest gun fanatics and china hawks in congress mtg herself she's been basically like every two seconds she's been tweeting a call for some yosemite sam style shoot down of the balloon and she's quote tweeting ryan zinke who is trump's secretary of the interior who's from montana shoot it down ryan zinke saying the chinese spy balloon is clear provocation in montana we do not bow we shoot it down take the shot we do not bow <laughs> You know, I heard Marjorie Taylor Greene interviewed by Glenn Greenwald the other day, and when she got to Ukraine, she sounded so sensible. Yeah, right, sensible. Um, I didn't agree, didn't really. Dis I don't remember disagreeing with one thing she said about Ukraine, but then of course, when China comes up, it's a whole different story. And then this comes out, you know. And by the way, when is this news happening? It's coming one day, or it came, it broke on the day that the U.S. announced that it's massively expanding its military presence in the Philippines yep. in order to confront China. So literally on a day when the U.S. is saying we're expanding our military footprint uh, in the Philippines to take on China, there is a massive freakout in the U.S. over a balloon, over one balloon. Well, this the, the, the expansion to the Philippines is also coming at a time when, as I discussed with scholar activist Joseph Essertier, in an interview you can watch at our YouTube channel, Japan is planning to double its military budget mm. with encouragement from the United States and is placing missile systems pointed at China on island chains that are surrounding Japan. So it's not just the Philippines. It's a full-on expansion of U.S. plans to provoke China and... And what else is happening right now? Well, back in uh, November, there was the G20 summit in Bali. And it was there that uh, China's Xi met with President Joe Biden. And they basically agreed to kind of turn down the temperature. U.S.-Chinese relations were at a post-Cold War low. Uh, China was escalating its rhetoric in ways we hadn't heard because of the U.S.'s constant provocations, denunciations, the U.S. jailing this uh, one of the executives of Huawei, a Chinese firm, basically getting China to, de I mean Canada to detain her. Um, I mean, just constant provocation. And so Biden basically is now being pushed by pressure from his right, from Marjorie Taylor Greene, from but also from his National Security Council. I mean, his own cabinet, he's surrounded by China hawks. Jake Sullivan, for example. Tony Blinken, for example, is a huge China hawk. And so what was going to take place was Tony Blinken was going to meet with his counterpart in the Chinese foreign ministry to make good on this promise to turn down the temperature to restore relations. And now Blinken has canceled his trip because he's bowing to public pressure from people like Ryan Zinke in Montana. He's bowing to the populist rights, anti-China hysteria about this balloon. And diplomacy is effectively suspended for now. 
Yeah, well, we have the clip here of uh, Lloyd Austin. I can uh, share it if we, we want to play it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, okay. And and so yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd Austin, former Raytheon board member, is ch discussing uh, plans to expand the U.S. military presence in the Philippines. Our alliance makes both of our democracies more secure and helps uphold a free and open Indo-Pacific. And today we discuss ways to make this vital, vital alliance even stronger. We talked about enhancing our mutual defense posture and strengthening our commitments under our mutual defense treaty. We discussed concrete actions to address destabilizing activities in the waters surrounding the Philippines, including the West Philippine Sea. And we remain committed to strengthening our mutual capacities to resist armed attack. The important as the People's Republic of China continues to advance its illegitimate claims in the West Philippine Sea. Yeah, so Aaron, your reaction? Well, I mean, uh, does China have a military alliance and military bases in Venezuela or Nicaragua or uh, Cuba? No. Uh, how many bases does China even have outside of China? I think the answer is like, I don't know, one or maybe two. Um, at the most, it's, it's pretty small, whatever it is. And so it's just uh, with every country where that's an official enemy, there's always something that can be used to so panic remember you know iran when, when iranian ships counter american ships in their own waters iran is accused of aggressive behavior or when right. iran shoots down an american drone spying on their territory that triggers calls for military strikes and you know according to uh multiple accounts trump back backed off at the last second of a military of a military strike against iran angering people like john bolton after iran shot down a u.s drone so in retaliation for Iran shooting down a U.S. drone. People like John Bolton wanted to kill people inside Iran, and um, it's never discussed. Well, like, are are our mutual postures comparable? Is there parity between uh, what China is doing and what the U.S. is doing? And it's not even close. The U.S. is surrounding China with military infrastructure uh, everywhere. Uh, look at all the sh U.S. ships that are in those waters and bases around there. It's it's not even a comparison. Yeah, well, uh, apparently the U.S. borders extend to the nine dash line, and we need to also, as Marjorie Taylor Greene suggested, Trump would have built a giant sky wall, so this never would have happened. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta build the wall. We gotta build this the wall, and we gotta build the dome. <laughs> we'll, we'll put like a translucent dome so we can get some sun, though, because I know she likes to like. Um, she, she apparently likes to tan. So, um, war, who wants war? Well, the new chairman of the house foreign relations committee wants, seems to want war with China. He seems to be really gung ho for war. So do figures in the Pentagon brass. So we had general Mike Minahan actually predict war with China by 2025, echoing Marine general, James Bierman who mm -hmm. said that Ukraine was basically a dress rehearsal for a war with Ta China over the Taiwan Strait. And now here is the top House Foreign Affairs Republican agreeing with the possibility of war with China. I hope he's wrong as well. Referring to General Minahan said, Michael McCall, 
Republican of Texas, but I think he's right, unfortunately. Uh, and, and, and Minahan, by the way, is an Air Force general. The Air Force is going, would play a decide, like an important leading role in any conflict over the Strait of Taiwan. And there were even plans back in 1958 for the Air Force to drop nuclear weapons on Chinese cities over that crisis mm. in the Taiwan Strait, as Gareth Porter reported for us. So, Max, uh, isn't uh, isn't Michael McCall the lawmaker who called the gray zone deeply disturbing? Yeah, Michael McCall has denounced the gray zone. He's basically called on by um, I forget what that lady's name is, but she was like the the hack that um, Coda story or whatever it was. Yeah, Coda story. No, it was it wasn't. It was it was. I think it was the Axios. Oh, Axios. Basically, yeah. we were shredding the whole Uyghur genocide narrative that was part of the. Pompeo and Matthew Pottinger, who's a former Wall Street Journal reporter who got into the Trump NSC and was leading the whole uh, anti-China effort there. We were shredding that story. And then all of a sudden, these reports appeared about us at mainstream publications or CODA story, which is sponsored by all these State Department proxies. And they were portraying us as this fringe publication, which somehow was so influential that we were the most evil genocide deniers on the planet. It was really because we destroyed the reputation and credibility of the main researcher who was being relied upon for all of these phony data points and statistics about the Uyghur genocide and forced sterilizations in the Xinjiang province. It was Adrian Zentz. And so Pottinger, who was obviously weaponizing Zentz, and instrumentalizing him, had to go after us. And they called on Michael McCall. He obviously got a call and he delivered some kind of throwaway comment that we are deeply disturbing or what we are doing is deeply disturbing. So, you know, it's proud to have been denounced. We're proud to have been denounced by the top China hawk in Congress. Obviously, this is limited to the Republicans, but we're now learning that it, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the new Republican speaker, is going to follow in the footsteps of Nancy Pelosi and take a, another provocative trip to Taiwan. Um, really? Wow. You know, speaking wow. of, of balloons, okay, let's say you got a you've got a balloon. I mean, imagine if there was some kind of disputed US state and a Chinese that you know, a the a, a, a leader of the CPC in China took a trip there to express support for their separatist elements. I mean, yeah. By the way, I love I love how uh, the Republicans have Michael McCall as one of their top hawks, and then the Democrats have Michael McFall as one of their top, yeah. top hawks. <laughs> so, much, so much flavor. They're sort of indistinguishable, except uh, McFall seems to be more flamboyantly idiotic. <laughs> um, he, I could, we could, we could talk about yeah. him forever, yeah. but but the point is, we're we're looking at terrifying levels of escalation in Ukraine, which we can talk about in a second. Yeah. But the real goal, and they've already placed a date on it. It's like when they say uh, by 2030, we'll be carbon free. By 2025, the Air Force General, Mike Minahan, wants to be at war with China. And this is not, you know, your grandfather's China. This is China with advanced AI capability. This is China with a world-class blue water Navy. This is China with world-class anti-aircraft systems. This is China with a population that would be more supportive of a defensive military effort against a United States intervention over the Taiwan Strait than I think 
enlisted soldiers would be in the U.S. military. I actually talked to a former Marine who used to uh, live in the neighborhood of James Bierman. He saw my tweet about Bierman's comments about the ultimate need to go to war with China and Ukraine being a dress rehearsal. And he said, you know, my Marines, we, my guys, we fought in Iraq. We saw what war really was. None of us want to fight China. This guy is a psychopath. Uh, so that's, that's how like rank and file Marines feel. This was a former uh, officer, by the way. So I don't think this is going to end in a good place for anyone except maybe uh, uh, Lloyd Austin's former bosses and future employers, most likely in the arms industry. Yeah, Lloyd Austin sure is doing well for his uh, Raytheon colleagues. And of course, he was on the board there. And uh, what a boon for them. He's been uh, not just in Ukraine, but now in, in China. And, you know, speaking of spying, because Mike Pompeo is getting in on the act, he's planning a run for president. He's going to be like this faux America first neocon who uh, will put Saudi Arabia first, as we can see from his book, as well as Israel. And Anya Parampil, our colleague at the Gray Zone, my very close colleague, made a pretty good point about spying. You know, she here's Pompeo. When we realized the CCP was spying on Americans from their consulate in Houston, we shut it down. The Biden administration's weakness is provocative. Xi Jinping and the CCP are growing bolder because of it. Shoot down the CCP's balloon safely. It's got to be a safe shoot down. You know how the safe there's they can they can use safe shoot down weapons or unsafe shoot down weapons, and Pompeo prefers the safe one. Uh, and demand answers from G after we shoot it down. Cause you know, that's how you can just treat a powerful nuclear power to demand answers after you attack its military. Is this the kind of spying Mike Pompeo prefers Anya asked? And she reminds us that Israel placed mysterious spy devices near the white house. This is Politico reporting it. Uh, not exactly a bastion of anti-Zionist sentiment. Colloquially, colloquially known as stingrays. These spy devices mimic regular cell towers to fool cell phones into giving them their locations and identity information. The devices were likely intended to spy on President Donald Trump, one of the former officials said, as well as his top aides and closest associates, though it's not clear whether the Israeli efforts were successful. So under Mike Pompeo's watch, while he was CIA director, the Israeli government was spying on his boss, President Donald Trump, I guess like Kushner is probably like getting a direct line. Like, what do you hear about my father-in-law? But Pompeo, he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. What he proceeded to do was just collaborate with Israel to wrangle Trump into agreeing to assassinate Qasem Soleimani, the second most important political figure in Iran, and almost bring the U.S. to the brink of war with Iran. But that's America first for you. Pompeo's yeah. going to say he's America first. America first, except when Israel spies on the president. Israel literally spied on the president, and it was like – does anyone even remember that story? No. And Trump, and what did Trump do? He moved, he granted Israel one of its big wishes and he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. You know, he, yes. uh, he uh, that's what he did in response to being spied on. That's how, that's how we reward, <laughs> that's how we retaliate against Israel for spying on the president. Yeah. Uh, well, like Obama, like Netanyahu literally came to Washington to denounce Obama and accuse him of uh, a, a lighting the flames of the next Holocaust by doing the Iran deal. He accepted an invitation from Barack Obama's top opponent, John Boehner, the Republican House leader. How did Re Obama respond? In the last UN vote, the U.S. abstained on a vote on Israel's settlement activity. Like, right. Wow. And, that was, and that was billed as being somehow brave of Obama. Like he stood up to Israel. 
because for the for once he didn't veto a resolution condemning Israeli settlements. And that was supposedly Obama, Obama's big rebuke is that he abstained. He let it yeah. pass. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and let's talk a little bit more about surveillance balloons. Um, because, uh, China, it, it is almost like China just invented this. Like this is some Chinese space weapon as if they're the only country that has ever done this. And as we've said, China has had spy balloons or alleged surveillance balloons come through U.S. skies before with no incident. But here's Politico again, U.S. military's newest weapon against China and Russia, hot air. Huh. The, U the Pentagon is quietly transitioning high altitude balloon projects to the military services. So this is uh, part of the so-called great power competition. They fly between 60,000 and 90,000 feet and they'll be added to the Pentagon's extensive surveillance network and could eventually be used to track hypersonic weapons. The Pentagon has spent about 3.8 million on these balloons and plans to spend over 27 million more in 2023 to continue work on these kinds of efforts. So you can assume that there are balloons in Chinese skies right now. And that seems to be some context that's left out. Uh, and China surrounded by US bases. China surrounded, China, we have Okinawa right there. That is a US military base, which is occupying a Japanese island against the wishes of its residents. That's right in China's backyard. Just imagine if China had a major military base right in our backyard while its leadership was predicting war with us within two years, two years. So uh, this balloon, I mean, is it like the shooting of Archduke Ferdinand? Is it just some trivial incident that could lead to an insane world war where the plebeians from Scranton to Spokane have to fight the King's war. That's what it increasingly feels like. And if you're, if you're like some, uh, you know, pop populist MAGA type, and you've been questioning the war on Ukraine, you've been criticizing it and you're falling from this for this, you're just getting played. You're just getting played. This isn't about defending sovereignty. It's Gray Zone Radio. You've been listening to me, Max Blumenthal, and my colleague Aaron Maté discussing the national freakout over a Chinese supposed spy balloon traversing the United States. In our next segment, we'll cover the furor over Republican Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy stripping Representative Ilhan Omar of her assignment on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. McCarthy's motives were twisted for sure. He was canceling Omar for her speech and opinions and specifically for criticizing the Israel lobby that funds his campaigns and those of his allies. But Omar's allies in the progressive squad claimed she was removed simply because she was a woman of color and a Muslim. Was that really the case? And is Ilhan Omar actually advancing the anti-war cause as she says she is? Or is she in fact an insidious enabler of imperialism in Somalia, the country of her birth, as well as Ethiopia and Eritrea. This discussion might make you think twice about Ilhan and the Progressive Squad. Ilhan Omar has just been booted from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. That was a vote taken by Republicans, uh, and she was kicked out along with 
Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, who were taken off of the House Intelligence Committee. Now, I think in the case of Schiff and Swalwell, that the Republicans have a pretty strong case because both these people abused their positions on the House Intelligence Committee to falsely claim that they had secret proof that Trump was a Russian agent, uh, Adam Schiff especially. Ilhan Omar, it's clear this is a political decision, and they're upset at her for her criticism of Israel, and they've made that very, very clear. The problem uh, is, yeah. Let's just just play some video by Kevin McCarthy before we get your take. She said the American military was equal to Hamas and Taliban from a member of the foreign affairs. She said Americans only like Israel because it's all about the Benjamins. And three years later, she said, I didn't know there's a trope when it comes to referring to someone who's Jewish with money. She said on 9-11, on 9-11, as a member of Congress, as an individual who's sitting on foreign affairs, something happened that day. What does that say to other people around the world? What does that say to somebody else who wants to create another 9-11 America? I'm sorry. It's not right. We were right in our action. And she can serve on other committees. But it puts America in jeopardy, and I'm not going to do that under my watch. And it's fair in the process, unlike them. Something happened. What is he saying? Nothing happened on 9-11? Is he a 9-11 denier? <laughs> and, and I mean, it's all about the Benjamins. That was, you know, it's just one of the, the, that was one of those instances where you just say something that's so obviously true and therefore forbidden in Washington. If it wasn't all about the Benjamins, this wouldn't have happened because the Benjamins are fueling Kevin McCarthy and so many other people who sit on that committee, their their careers. Um, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, what she said was right. Uh, it was 100% true. I mean, APAC brags about how much influence it has and how much money it raises to exert that influence. So her saying it's all about the Benjamins baby was correct. Uh, I think the critique we have is that Ilhan Omar... Um, is not like some sort of anti-imperialist martyr on so many policies. She's in line with the Republicans like Kevin McCarthy, for example, in funding every single time for the funding bills uh, on the proxy war in Ukraine. And, and also, and if and you pointed this out, Max, that the way Democrats are responding, instead of defending Ilhan Omar's critiques of Israel, they're trying to make this about identity politics and saying yeah. that they're, they're, make, they're targeting her because she's a woman of color. And I'm sure for some Republicans, you, you could make that case that they're, you know, they're driven by racial animus and uh, animus towards her as a Muslim woman who wears the hijab. But this comes from her co- criticism of Israel. That's what the comment that got her in trouble was about. And Democrats in defending her for being ousted are not trying to defend her for a comment about that. I'm not trying to point out that that's why she's being targeted. Yeah. <laughs> And they're playing perfectly into the hands of the Republicans by taking this line that this is just about a woman of color being targeted. But let's listen to AOC's theatrical one-minute performance. Woman from New York, Representative Ocasio-Cortez. All right, gentlewoman is recognized for one minute. Thank you. Now, (laughs) as also as a fellow New Yorker, I think one of the things that we should 
talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy. Consistency, there is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an a, a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and, and an entire amount of tropes <laughs> and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single time expired my life was threatened thank you oh she threw the she threw the book at him <laughs> she's talking about marjorie taylor green she made some weird comments about the rothschilds and some kind of satellite system on facebook and so it was interpreted as jewish space lasers but she never said jewish space lasers hmm. uh, and she's you know gotten some committee assignments, a Democrat stripped her from her committee assignments. So this is kind of like revenge for that. But the point that I made on Twitter was this is not necessarily about targeting a woman of color. The Republicans ran a woman of color, a Muslim Somali military veteran against Ilhan Omar in her congressional election, who is a hijabi. Mm. So the Republicans like women of color if they do what they want. They like men of color, like Clarence Thomas, if they do what they want. Most people of color don't generally do what the Republicans want. But this isn't about that. This is about the Benjamins. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about the Israel lobby and its power in American life. And they don't want to talk about that. AOC doesn't even want to deal with it. That's why she voted present on funding the Iron Dome, which is That's the right. key to Israel's ability to escalate endlessly against the defenseless people of the Gaza Strip. So she doesn't mention that at all. She makes it about identity politics. And then at the end, she makes it about herself in this performance where she can't even pull off her own lines. And the, every member of the squad said that. They all said, women of color. And this is what it's just, it's about racism. And uh, I, I mean, I guess that's, that's the line they want to take because, hey, what would happen to them if they brought up the Benjamins? The same yeah. thing that happened to the white man in the UK, Jeremy Corbyn, who right. was destroyed for basically defending the basic humanity of Palestinians. I don't even think he said anything as inflammatory as it's all about the Benjamins. He's no, white. He, He's yeah, a man. Yeah. He was destroyed. The Israeli government participated in that attack. So did the Labor Party. So That's did a, Keir Starmer. They're still attacking him. That's a great point. So did Mike Pompeo, who vowed to basically undermine him if ever if ever he got elected, or even to prevent him from, from winning the election. Um, that's a great point. Uh, you can't say that Jeremy Corbyn was targeted for identity politics. Uh, he was targeted because he recognizes the identities of Palestinians and he stands up for their rights. And it, Democrats don't want to talk about that because they don't want to do that. And yeah. and they that's why when Ilhan Omar had that tweet, instead of defending her, they all apologized and said, "Oh, she didn't know about the sensitivity of the topic, and she, you know, she didn't know she should have stood by what she tweeted because it was accurate." Yes. I mean, what's the point of being in Congress unless you want to be famous or rich, uh, which are two things most people in the country want to be? I'd assume the squad, they at least like the notoriety and fame. AOC probably wants to be senator. Maybe she thinks she can run for president someday. Yeah, well, 
uh, a new point, as we just saw, is uh, to vote against socialism. Uh, you see that vote that just happened where <laughs> there was a resolution to denounce yeah. socialism? Yeah. Ro Khanna was among the people to sign on. The resolution listed the crimes of uh, Chavez and Maduro, Venezuela, and Castro. And Ro Khanna voted for that, and so did Marcy Captor, Capper, I think her name is. Captor, yeah. Well, Captor, she's yeah. Uh, she's got a – yeah. She's got a ton of Ukrainians in her district, I think. But yeah, they're all, I mean, they're all, the left is in the U.S. is anti-communist. So it basically repeated a lot of talking points that I see in the nation, um, you know, that I hear from like Trotskyists all the time, like Bill Fletcher and, uh, you know, the ISO types. It's not really like, it, but it's it's being introduced by some straight up Neanderthals who are like, the communism has killed 200 million billion people. And they count like everyone who died in Nazi Germany fighting World War II. They, I mean, the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation literally counts all the Nazi soldier deaths in World War II as victims of communism. <laughs> I assume Be Stepan Bandera is a victim of communism. And that memorial was ushered in by a Democratic president, Bill Clinton. So the Republicans do this to like kind of get the Democrats to vote, to, to hope they'll vote against it so they can say, see, you're a communist. Uh, it, it's really stupid. But there's another point I wanted to make about Ilhan Omar that I think is more substantial and relevant to her, her constituents here. And it relates to, it's important to make because, I don't have the tweet right in front of me, but when she was uh, stripped of her committee assignments, she said, this is not just about you know attacking a woman of color. It's about silencing the voices of pe of the people of Africa. So she, this is like her version of Fauci saying, I am the science. She's saying, I am mama Africa. And she is not ne necessarily very well liked in her district by Somali Americans. She is hated by Ethiopians, Ethiopian Americans, Eritreans, because she has been a force for advancing U.S. imperialism on the Horn of Africa. And if the Democrats had somehow won in Congress, she would have been vice chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And that would have been the nightmare for many people from Africa who she claims to represent. Let's let's get into why. This is an article at the Gray Zone we published by Ann Garrison, who's our friend who contributes to the Black Agenda Report and also hosts a show at Pacifica. Um, and it's about how Ilhan Omar was actually booed at a concert, a Somali-American concert, in uh, on um, in Minneapolis Somali community on Somali Independence Day, so basically Minneapolis is a bastion of the Somali American community. That's her district, the fifth congressional district in 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 Minneapolis in Minnesota. It's a completely blue district, and yet she, this is how she was treated when she appeared at the concert. Everyone in the audience is Somali. She's trying to, the, the more she tries to tell them to stop booing, the more they boo. So why are they booing her? Well, there are a number of reasons. One is that she's not present in her district very often. And that community is more conservative than she is on social issues. She's gotten uh, close to the squad and advanced a lot of their positions on trans issues, for example, that aren't popular there. But there are also a group of activists that appeared at bought tickets to the concert, went to the front row and made plans to boo her because of her performance on the Foreign Affairs Committee. 
Um, and, you know, let's start with her relationship with uh, Paul Kagame, the authoritarian dictator of Rwanda, which is backed by the U.S. and Israel. And Ilhan Omar actually voted against a House resolution to call on Kagame to release Paul Rusabagina. Who is that? That's the guy that hotel who, who is the subject of Hotel Rwanda, right? He's a, a famous dissident figure in Rwanda. She voted against it. And here's her hanging out with, uh, with Paul Kagame, Ilhan Omar. Well, she's, she, she's hanging out with his wife and she made a trip to Rwanda. Rwanda has been a major force, by the way, in advancing U.S interventionism in Ethiopia to remove the Ethiopian government. They've been supportive of the TPLF and arming that force. Now, here's Ilhan Omar with Dr. Tedros. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, who is the head of the World Health Organization. He's the Secretary General, which is a group that exists under the auspices of the United Nations. And this is significant because Tedros also is the leading figure of the TPLF, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, which has been fighting an offensive war to take over Ethiopia and was for many years a U.S. proxy that was used to advance U.S. imperialism in Somalia. So that's really important to understand. She's meeting with him. Do you really think they're talking about uh, you know, COVID and healthcare? No, she he's talking to her because he's lobbying for the TPLF because she sat at the time in an important position on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And you can look at Tedros's Twitter account. It's just nonstop lobbying for regime change in Ethiopia, which is a total violation of his remit at the World Health Organization. This is a UN official lobbying for a regime change war. Disgusting. Now, um, on many occasions, Ilhan has asked the State Department for legal determinations as to whether the Ethiopian government is guilty of atrocities. In other words, these are illegal determinations because she is assuming that the U.S. has the right to rule that international crimes like genocide, crimes against humanity, have been committed and action must be taken as we saw in Libya and Syria. The same sort of determinations were sought to create the basis for U.S. intervention. That's what she was doing in Ethiopia. Only the UN Security Council can do that. The US can't do that. You can see she questions, she questioned the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs for a legal determination. And then she called for a carrot and stick approach against Ethiopia. She calls for sanctions. She's calling for the bullying of Ethiopia and Eritrea through a House resolution. And this is a key reason why she is despised by Ethiopians and Eritreans. But here's a more lesser known action that Ilhan Omar is engaged in, in relation to her home country of Somalia, her family's home country. She quote tweeted in December, 2021, a State Department threat to take action against Somalia if it did not hold early elections to remove its president, Farma Joe. She said, Formajo, as the year passes mandate, it's time for him to step aside. Now, why is that significant? He was interim president and the two states in Somalia refused to recognize his authority. He was very well liked by the Somali 
population and the Somali-American community because of his anti-corruption efforts and because he was resisting U.S. efforts to place troops in Somalia. He was fighting to establish a direct one-person electoral process so they could have legitimate elections and break the instability that was caused by these parliamentary elections. And at the same time, he was also uh, fighting for a secular Somali state against the Al-Shabaab militants. So he eventually had to capitulate under this pressure from the U.S. and from Ilhan Omar to May 15th elections. He lost. A new president came into power. And guess what happened next? Biden sent troops to Somalia because the new president was an, an imperial tool, was less resistant than Pharma Joe. So here's the kicker. This is really something that shocked me to learn as soon as I can get it up on screen, is that after the new president came into power in Somalia, Ahmed, a, a political operator named Ahmed Hersey, took to Facebook to welcome the new president, Somalia, Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud, and to announce that he was going to be working with him to implement his political agenda. Here he is, Ahmed Hersey with President Mahmoud. Who is Ahmed Hersey? This is the first husband of Ilhan Omar, who divorced her after walking in on her and her um, aide in pajamas together uh, as they were having an affair. That's her new husband. So basically, Ilhan Omar played a role in bringing this president to the right in power, and then someone who is very close to her goes to work for him. And this is why so many Africans have lashed out, especially people from the Horn of Africa against Ilhan Omar, since she claimed to be the voice of Africa and they are not sympathetic to her, even though she's being attacked by Kevin McCarthy for some very, very twisted, malign reasons. Uh, so it's a complicated scenario and it really should help illuminate how anti-imperialists view the House Foreign Affairs Committee and view these kinds of episodes that are so fraught with identity politics and have much more complex issues behind them. You've just been listening to my discussion with Aaron Maté about the furor over Ilhan Omar's removal from the House Foreign Affairs Committee by the Republican congressional leadership and her disturbing record of imperialism in the Horn of Africa. We now turn to Ukraine, where British military and political leadership is beginning to call for boots on the ground. That's right, the country that supposedly functions as the poodle of U.S. empire is actually helping to drive escalation and pushing Washington further than it may want to go, to commit its own troops to fight and die in a war against Russia. Take a listen. The U.S. and the Biden administration have announced plans to send an additional $2.2 billion in aid to Ukraine. This will include Javelin anti-tank missiles, artillery ammunition, and conventional and long-range rockets for HIMARS. And this comes as the Ukrainian military and Ukrainian leadership is demanding ATACMS missiles, which can reach cities in the interior of Russia, as well as F-16 jets after receiving authorization of a shipment of 
Abrams tanks and German Le Leopard tanks under U.S. pressure. So this brings, according to Jack Detch, the um, total of U.S. military aid to Ukraine to $29.3 billion since Russia's full-scale invasion. I think the number is much higher. I've seen the number of aid in total, including humanitarian aid and you know, the aid used to allow the Ukrainian parliament to increase their salaries, uh, putting it at close to $100 billion. Oh, well, yeah, the, and the amount approved authorized is definitely over $100 billion. That's, that's official. In terms of what's been dispersed, uh, you know, I'm sure it's also more than that $29 billion there. But yeah. this is just another escalation, and it comes after the U.S. approved sending M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine, and there's talk now of sending f-16s and there's also talk and we can play some of these clips in the british yeah. media of you know high-ranking former officials who want to send troops they actually want to fight russia directly which is a recognition i think that this war is not going as advertised we've been told that ukraine is routing russia expelling russia from its territory doesn't seem to be the case because the way these people are talking it's they sound pretty panicked so yes, this, are you suggesting boots on on the ground I think that that is something that we now have to consider, Kay. Yes, uh, I do. I feel that certainly if you were to put a NATO force in there, uh, that would be NATO uh, versus Russia. Uh, but Russia is the is the guilty party here. Russia has invaded defense minister another of the UK. sovereign state. And uh, we have declared, everybody in the West has declared that uh, Ukraine has got to win, and we're doing a tremendous amount. Britain led the way under Boris Johnson in leading the... Uh, uh, the support for Ukraine. But I do think we have to think very hard uh, where this is going, because at the moment what it's looking like is a stalemate uh, with uh, Russia just flattening whole parts of uh, that sovereign country uh, like they did in Aleppo. Uh, they're a brutal regime. They lie through their teeth. And the West has got to decide um, that if it is going to support Ukraine, and Ukraine does have to win, because if Ukraine does not win, where will Putin go next? So that was the former defense minister of the UK basically saying we need to consider boots on the ground. They're talking about it. They're, they're paving the path. And as we've clearly established through internal classified British Ministry of Defense documents and correspondences between advisors to the MOD in the UK through the reporting of Kit Clarenberg, they are attempting to push the US further than it wants to go and consider Biden to be kind of a mollycoddler because he doesn't want to escalate to that degree. That's been the real role of the UK. Aaron, you're muted. What does a mollycoddler mean? It's like an old, old timey term. I think it might have. <laughs> some people in the chat are going to correct me. I think it's a World War One era okay. term. It's for people who, uh, who coddle foreign enemies. Got it. Uh, or overprotective of designated enemies. Yeah. I actually, you know, I, I, I learned that term because it came back during the Iraq war, the second Gulf war as part of the lexicon of Bush Republicans to attack people like David Korn, who I thought were against the Iraq war, but turned out to have just been against Bush's Republican war. Um, we got more, I mean, there's just, 
This is Tobias Elwood. And for those of you who don't know, Tobias Elwood is a member of Britain's 77th Brigade, which is a pro the propaganda wing of the British military. They run troll farms on Twitter. They are specifically engaged in trying to drum up support among the British public for a war with Russia. And here's one of the most hysterically anti-Russia figures in the UK who happens to be the head of the defense committee in the British parliament, which puts him in a pretty influential position. We are now at war in Europe. We need to move to a war footing. We are involved in that. We've mobilized our procurement processes. We're gifting equipment. We need to face Russia directly and reckon that rather than leaving Ukraine to do all the work. We are now at war in Europe. We need to move to a war footing. We're involved in that. We've okay. So, I mean, he, you know, very similar to the remarks by German, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach, who said we are at war with Russia. That's right. This is sort of a unilateral declaration without the German public participating in a vote on whether they, their country should go to war with Russia. Here you have another influential figure, this time in the UK, saying the same thing. Yeah. And uh, then we have David Petraeus, the former head of the CIA, who is still somehow talking about the prospect of regime change in russia as if that is somehow uh not only desirable but attainable uh at a time when putin still has uh huge support from the russian population here's petraeus speaking to david ignatius of the washington post the other alternative of course is regime change uh and that is so hard to calculate and it, it, he has such a grip on power this is a not just an autocracy as you know it's a dictatorship and within that it's a klept Democracy, dictatorship, um, and everyone around him uh, is in a position because the individual is intensely loyal and proven himself uh, to Putin. Uh, very, very hard in that kind of scenario. Lots of different security services, all of which, again, uh, Putin controls, to try to plan and carry out some kind of coup. Um, but also, as you know from history, um, what is inconceivable uh, all of a sudden can become inevitable, uh, sometimes overnight. Um, and looking for those kind of indicators is something that an organization near and dear to both our hearts uh, looking for, I'm sure, very, very assiduous. So keep hope alive, everybody. Keep hope alive. Regime change. Well, sure, sure. Sure. Putin has a lot of support. Uh, Keep hope alive. Maybe it can happen very quickly. Well, that then isn't that the point of the war? It is a regime change war. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. that's the whole point of the project of Ukraine is the anti-Russia. That's oh, yeah. the whole point of the U.S. trainers in Ukraine. That's the point of the U.S. weapons. That was the point of the Maidan coup. It's of the sanctions. Of the, the sanctions, sanctions now into destroying the Russian economy, which has not worked. GDP has shrunk a little bit, but the collapse of the ruble, like Biden said, we're going to turn the ruble into rubble. That just hasn't happened. To turn the ruble into rubble, the whole point would be to set the Russian population against the Kremlin and create some basis for a color revolution, mass discontent. I, I think that's highly unlikely, but this, as the Kremlin and Russian leadership openly acknowledges, this war is a existential war. 
This is a war. To, this is a to be or not to be situation. There are plans to balkanize Russia, to break it up into five, to weaken Russia, to bring it back to the 90s when it was kind of a Mad Max style capitalist free market dystopia. Uh, this war, if Russia loses and is forced to pull back, if it cedes Crimea, this could lead towards a regime change style scenario. And that is the objective of people like David Petraeus. And I think that's that's what he has in mind. That's the point of what was once considered unthinkable to send the tanks, then to send the F-16s, then to send the attackums, then to send the boots on the ground, to send the troops. And what I'm worried about, because they are so hell-bent on regime change because of what Putin represents in terms of a fulcrum point to a multipolar world order and you know reversing the unipolar trend is some kind of incident that would be like Duma on a grand scale, Aaron, that would trigger trigger a NATO Article 5. Do you, do you share I, that? I think that's totally fair to speculate. Remember, there was talk of that early in the war. Remember we were hearing... Uh, speculation and warnings at, uh, from the U.S. that Putin was going to use chemical weapons in, in Ukraine. Yeah, and there even was an incident where some people, I think, tied to the Azov Battalion, tried to claim that they were victims of a chemical attack. So, of course, I think that's definitely in the playbook. And I'm sure there are people inside the national security state who are considering something like that. I think it's totally fair to speculate because we have a record of it, as we saw in Syria. And by the way, after our stream ends, we're going to publish my newest article on the OPCW cover scandal, where we're going to have a lot more on that. And we're exposing basically the OPCW's brand new deception on that. And uh, it's it's quite the story. Yeah, well, I, I just read it. We've been preparing it. It's, it's a devastating piece. And it's, it's all we can do as journalists. Uh, and we can't cover all of these deceptions and incidents. I, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of shocked that the fighting around the Zaporozhye nuclear plant in Ukraine didn't amount to something more catastrophic because yeah. you had Russian troops controlling the air area around the Zaporozhye nuclear plant and Ukrainian forces attacking it, shelling a nuclear plant day after day after day. And then you'd see one headline after another in US media, Zaporozhye plant shelled, but they never say who's doing it. And they make you think that Russia <laughs> is attacking yeah. a nuclear plant to cause mass death and another Chernobyl across Ukraine, a plant so that they control, setting a tripwire, a plant that they control. The, the idea yes. we're supposed to believe is that just as Russia supposedly blew up its own pipeline, the Nord Stream 2, we also were supposed to believe that Russia was shelling a nuclear plant that its own forces were controlling. Thanks for listening to another episode of Gray Zone Radio on Pacifica. I'm your host, Max Blumenthal. You can find more of our original investigative journalism and sign up for our newsletter at thegrayzone.com. That's G-R-A-Y zone.com. This episode was produced by Christopher Weaver. <laughs>